you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I've gotten fascinated over the last couple weeks about how we learn, about uh, the different ways we can uh, work pedagogically to, to uh, understand new concepts and new things. Uh, you know, homeschooling a kindergartner last year was a... I heard a laugh already. I don't even have to tell you how bad this was for me. This curriculum was a very one-size-fits-all curriculum. We're going to teach these kids phonics, and they're going to be able to read in kindergarten. It was like pulling teeth for months and months. Uh, I just did not connect with this concept. And so we go to first grade, and I'm I'm terrified. What's first grade going to be like? uh, How are we going to get through this? And our first parent-teacher conference, this this teacher's like, Josiah's just so wonderful. He's like the most polite kid. He's he's these things. I'm like, well, how's reading going? (laughs) Help help me understand this. like, what are we doing wrong? Why, are, why is he not understanding phonics? And she goes, well, some kids just don't get phonics. Some kids are sight word readers. They, they learn lots of sight words, and they, they pick it up, and that's kind of how their ability to, to learn new words comes about. And, um, and I should have known this. I've, I've taught Hebrew. I know you use different methods to teach people different things, right? In, um, in our culture, we learn in different ways. We're uh, raised up in high school to take U.S. history, right? Uh, we learned, at least in my school in 11th grade, we learned a lot about the founding fathers and why uh, we declared our independence from Great Britain, why we uh, wrote a constitution, who some of the founding fathers were, and that's about it, right? Uh, about 10 years ago, most of us couldn't tell you much of anything about Alexander Hamilton, could we? But now a lot of us know a whole lot about Alexander Hamilton, right? We know about him being an orphan from down here. He flew up here. He traded these things. He did this. We know about his, his wife. We know about Eliza. Don't we know about Eliza? Whew, Eliza. We know about his sister-in-laws. We know about their kids. We know about uh, his desires for the nation. We know about these things because somebody uh, taught us in a new medium. They gave us the musical Hamilton. Uh, sometimes it goes in other ways. Uh, I... Uh, I was hooked on The Crown on Netflix for a while there. I got through about the first three seasons, and I thought, this is fascinating, but I want to know more. So I did, like, this deepest Wikipedia dive you could ever do. And, like, I know things like why Viscount Severin, the uh, grandson of the queen, is called Viscount Severin, not Prince. I know how you get styled uh, with your own uh, coat of arms. I know these things because I went deep in there. And I'm learning something new this week. I was... Uh, on Twitter, and Weird Christian Twitter is this thing, and people always share the same stuff, and there was this post of Andrew Garfield on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and this post is him, uh, you know, it's, uh, Andrew Garfield talks about grief, so you click on it, and, and you see Stephen Colbert say, I, I hear you have your own loss recently. I, I heard your mother died, and Andrew Garfield immediately, like, wells up and, and, and pauses He said, if I cry, it's because I loved her. She was the best of us. Uh, Grief is nothing but unexpressed love. 
and man, did I love her. Playing this role gave me a chance to, to bear out my grief as I dealt in, uh, delved into Jonathan Larson's life. And then it kind of ends there. I wanted to know more about Jonathan Larson at this point. Who in here knows who Jonathan Larson is? You two should know who Jonathan Larson is. Uh, so I, I go where you should go, right? Wikipedia, the best source of information in the world, and learn that Jonathan Larson uh, was born in 1960, died in 1996 at the age of 35 from an aortic dissection. He really only had three musicals as a um, composer and lyricist. He uh, spent eight years developing this one called Superbia, and it's going to be kind of like out in space, and he does all this stuff, and everybody tells him it's good, but it's not going to make it. And so then he uh, creates his second musical, telling kind of his journey through a struggle in the theater industry. And then uh, he, he wrote a third musical, which is Rent. At least a familiar name to a lot of people, Rent. Okay, it was, it was a pretty big deal when it came out. He died the night that Rent was to premiere. This is what I learned from Wikipedia, right? It's not really that compelling of a story, is it? Andy, it's not, is it? It's just some guy. But I want you to watch the trailer to this movie. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I'm Jonathan Larson. I am 29 years old. I work at the Moondance Diner. Okay, one sec. Do we take reservations? No, we do not take, we're, we're a diner. I have an original rock musical. Hey, boy genius. That I have spent the last eight years of my life writing. He's getting out. You're gonna be rich and famous. And rewriting. Did you crack it yet? Oh, I'm getting so close. And rewriting. Can I hear it? Any day now. Eight years! And the time keeps ticking. Tick, tick. You need to ask, are you letting yourself be led by fear or by love? Fear! A hundred percent fear! I don't know what the show is. Why do we play with fire? What if the workshop happens and nothing changes? What then, Jonathan? Maybe I'm just wasting my time. Do you know how many Jonathan Larsons there are? One. Why should we blaze a trail? There's not enough time. I went to three friends' funerals last year, and nobody is doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Try writing about what you know. What does it take to wake up a generation? It would be a tragedy to give up what you have. Take off and fly. Fear or love, baby, don't say the answer. Action must be louder than It's a little more compelling than a Wikipedia article, isn't it? It, it, it draws you in. I'll be honest, we, we watched the movie that night. We have 
we have doved, divin, it's doved, right? Past tense of dived. We dived, dived, that's the word. We dived into Jonathan Larson's life and we are compelled to know more about him and what drove him and, and what, what burst forth these musicals. We watched this whole movie and we, I don't want to spoil things for you, but you need to watch it, but we, we watched this, this story of uh, this man's heart uh, laid bare in front of the world, trying to, to, to bring forth this story and, and this, this tension in himself between, uh, do I give up? Do I do what's safe? Or do I do what's in my heart? You, you can read the Wikipedia article, but when you see the story, uh, you get the sense of what uh, drives his, his, his dreams and his innovation in his heart, what made Rent what it is. Wikipedia didn't make me want to learn more about Jonathan Larson, but this movie makes me want to know everything about him. We learn through facts, right? We also learn through stories. We learn through art. We learn uh, in all these different modalities that that come together to make us people informed and people who learn and people who uh, thrive and flourish and people who uh, who are whole people. And our scriptures... Uh, act in the exact same way. Our scripture is full of facts. Here's this person and this thing. Here's this event and this person. We have the books of Samuel, the books of Kings, and the books of Chronicles that basically just tell the same story over and over and over again. We have all these accounts of good kings and bad kings and bad kings and bad kings. This one was good. This one was bad. This one reigned seven years. This one reigned 49 In the end, God said, "Um, I'm going to banish you in exile. Here comes Babylon. Second Kings is done. Here are the facts. If you want to know the facts of the story, go read the books of Kings. But at the same time, the prophets come in like a musical, surrounding us with uh, imagery and picture and uh, creative language to tell us the story of what is happening for the people of Israel. When the kings tell us Uh, Here's the facts on the ground. The prophets invite us to enter into the story and to to be there and smell the smells and to see the sights and to hear the sounds. I love the prophetic text of Advent. They they push us into being in Israel's shoes. What does it mean to anticipate and to long and and to hope and to wish? Uh, Jeremiah is the text that we start with in Advent this year. Jeremiah is this this gritty, immersive story of what it was like to be in Israel as the the monarchy failed, as they were pulled into exile, and as they wondered what God would do. Jeremiah is a no-holds-barred picture of of, uh, literally an, an acting of God's judgment and mercy. The the climax of, of Jeremiah in many ways is this book of comfort that we heard from this morning, written from prison as, as Jeremiah watches Babylon raise Jerusalem. He sits locked up in chains and sees his beloved Jerusalem being sieged at every corner by Babylon. This man who has been forced do the unbelievable to bear witness to God's love is now watching it all collapse. 
And even in the midst of this, this prison, in the midst of things falling apart, in the midst of, uh, of judgment, he brings a word of hope. Uh, the chapter before this, uh, God has begun to tell them, the time is coming, I'll plant seeds in Israel, people and animals will spring up, I will raise them up. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with Judah. It won't be like the old covenant, it'll be new. This covenant cannot be broken I'll write my instructions within them. I'll engrave them on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then Jeremiah looks out the window and sees the siege continuing. From the same room, he recounts Yahweh's promises that we heard already. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill my gracious promise to the people of Israel and Judah In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous branch from David's line who will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is what he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah has been in ministry for decades at this point. He's been bringing this critique from Yahweh to the people. You trample over humanity. You worship other gods. You think you're safe just because you're in Judah and Jerusalem. Return to your true love. And at every turn, they fail. He goes to the depths of uh, Israel's loss. He's right in the thick of it. You can smell the smells of war. You can feel the groans of defeat. You can see their hearts breaking. And he says, Yahweh, we'll make this right. This is the hope of Israel. As they sit in Babylon and as they come back from, uh, from exile, as they sit and wait... We know things were terrible, but Yahweh promised. So they wait. Is Cyrus of Persia the one who was promised, the one who's going to make things right? Clearly he's not. Is it, uh, is it Judas Maccabeus? Is it the Zealots? Who, who is going to make things right? And they long to see these promises come true. Generation after generation, look and wait and hope for that king to sit on David's throne, that warrior to take down the empire. And instead, we get Jesus, who comes on the scene in the most meek and mild of ways, in the ways that are most counterintuitive to what their hopes have been, this king whose kingdom has no end, but whose kingdom is in the clouds, not in Jerusalem. This king who fulfills every bit of the promises of the prophets, who brings about the hope they've had for so long. And yet things still aren't right. They're still under imperial oppression. 
God is not the God of the world at this point. Things aren't paved with gold. But yet... They're captivated and compelled by the Jesus story. A small group of people enter in uh, to the, the, the very muck of life with Jesus, and they get it. And from there, they go to every corner of the world declaring that God's promises back then are true today, that in Christ we have hope. That no matter what is going on in the midst of our lives, have hope. The, the earliest church thought Christ was coming back immediately. You can see it in page after page of Paul's letters. They expect Christ to return in their lifetimes and things are going to be made right. And yet much like Israel, we've had to wait. They sat in, in, uh, in silence without the prophets for 400 years. They sat and wondered who was going to fulfill these promises. We know who is going to fulfill our promises. And yet we wait. In Advent, we look back to Christ's first coming and we look forward to his second coming. We, uh, we retell the story time and time again of his birth in Jerusalem and we look for the time when his kingdom reaches its fullness. We walk through these infancy stories about how Christ comes and fulfills the promises made by the Old Testament prophets and we look for the time when John revelation comes true we look back to where he began to defeat sin and death and we look forward to the time when sin is no more we look back to where light came into the world and we look forward to the time when there's no more need for sun because the radiance of god shines in our midst we stand in the gap between his first advent and his second advent and the world needs our story one that testifies to the hope fulfilled and then bears witness to the hope to come. The world needs the factual truth of the gospel and the world needs to see it embodied in our story. We are people who uh, bear witness to the kingdom in multifaceted ways. We can go and declare the actual truth of the gospel and then let our lives also bear witness to it. In worship, we come and we do different things that enter us into the story that, that help us be fully, fully formed disciples of Christ, people who uh, know and are known. In a second, we're going to recite the Nicene Creed. In many ways, it's the Wikipedia article of what Christianity is. It is the factual truth of what does it mean to be Christ's people. And then we come to the table where literally we do God's story. We recount the biblical narrative and we come and we encounter Christ in flesh. We literally taste and see that the Lord is good. We're fed to stand in that gap between the first advent and the second advent. 